This is the Info Junkie Podcast. I'm Tom Clancy Jr., and this is my show where I talk with interesting people about what makes them tick, what keeps them up at night, and why they get up in the morning to do it all over again. I hope you enjoy it. Today's guest is Don Nelson, a licensed psychotherapist and psychoanalyst. He's also well-known as a public speaker, educator, and now he's an author, with his latest work, Challenge the Leader Inside, available on Amazon now. I met Don at my first 7 a.m. BNI meeting a few years back, where I very sleepily asked him to be my networking mentor. I've learned a lot from Don over the years, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation with my friend Don Nelson. So. so we are live, and I am sitting here across the table from the absolutely incredible and interesting Don Nelson. Did he get here yet? <laughs> oh, no, no, I no, can't not, wait to not, you know, meet him. He's behind you. Can you do me a favor and get up? Sure. You're, you're taking sure. up the, the seat there. I can't wait to meet him myself. <laughs> so how are you, Don? Great to sit with you. It's good. It's good. Yeah, this awesome. is talk about breaking bread. This is breaking the, the month, yeah. January, breaking the year. It's yeah, hard to getting believe. off to a good start. Yeah, what is it, 2012 already? Something like that, I think. <laughs> yeah, let me see. I always get caught up with the math. It's, it's Subtract weird. three, add four. I don't know. We were we were promised jetpacks and flying cars, and I have to settle for a smartphone. And you know, yeah, it, but this is valiant technology. Yes. Am I allowed to say that? You certainly are. Well, yeah. can't you? Don't you have a room or a space in the back where you have somebody working on that? Working on yeah. this. Yeah, Come well, on. we do, but I, I can't. You didn't sign the NDA, so you don't get to see that part of the office, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, it's hermetically sealed. Right. If you hear any loud explosions <laughs> or screaming, don't worry. It's perfectly safe for you. Um, <laughs> right. The test subjects are, are having a hard They're time. They're making a valiant effort to. Jetpacks. Yeah, the clawing sound at the so door. So they they, you can jet up to meet the, um, what do you call those things that are hovering around? Oh, the drones! The drones. So you yeah. can hu- you can jetpack up to your drone yeah. instead of it coming down to you. Maybe those drones are pretty neat, man. I mean, they're just really just remote control airplanes, but they're you know they're little helicopters and mm-hmm. they're a fun little toy. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I'm I'm reluctant to get into it yet though because the technology keeps changing so fast that I know that the day I buy a drone, like you know, four days later, it'll be like, oh, that one, that one's the piece of crap one. This one goes six times as far. And right, and you can't throw it out. You just fly away and keep. Right. Disturbing somebody, they don't yeah. like boomerangs. They right. keep they just keep, they keep going back. and going. With just keep coming. Back. Boomerangs with propellers on them or something. So yeah. uh, now you are a licensed psychotherapist. They actually licensed me. Would mm. you believe that? I, I, I'm assuming there was bribery involved. Well, you, usually when I introduce myself as events to somebody and they ask what you do, I, I hesitate between the first and the second part. I say I'm a psycho therapist. Therapist, right? right. And you have to be somewhat psycho. Mm-hmm. To do good psychotherapy. Right, right. <laughs> you have to be there or have been there and kind of clawed your way out of it or right. struggled through it. Yeah. So I am licensed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually licensed. In, I have two licenses. Okay. One is, <laughs> I, have to, I have to restrain myself from fooling around with you because, <laughs> but I'm going to mix, try to navigate between seriousness and fooling around. That works for me. Good. It's my preference, actually. All right. So I'm licensed as a psychotherapist. I'm also licensed in New York State as a psychoanalyst. Okay. Which is the one I really am proud of because oh, okay. that, to get to that license, you have to definitely go through all the proverbial 
hoops mm-hmm. and up and around and all of that. Yeah. Uh, now, what is the primary difference between the role of a, ther- a psychotherapist and a psycho- psychoanalyst? Well, let me put it this way. I, when somebody, when I work with somebody, I could be, it reminds me of, let's say, a deep sea diver or something like that. Mm-hmm. They could be, they could be operating on different levels of depth as they go down and depending, I guess, on their training and their skills and abilities, they can go deeper, deeper, deeper or just stay closer to the surface. Let's I see. Say. So if you think about that, I can work with somebody on a very high light level of which probably somebody would call coaching. Okay. You know, whether it's business, personal coaching. Somebody comes in with a little issue in the office that's bugging them or maybe mm-hmm. maybe making them want to quit. Why does Cindy have to eat her soup so loud every day? I don't know how to deal with this. That's right. Or she's always talking to a boyfriend and she gossips and it, it's driving me crazy. I can't stand her. Uh, as a matter of fact, at a seminar I gave or a workshop over the weekend, I was talking about uh, the issue with the supervisor or the, or the direct report or somebody you can't stand in the office, mm-hmm. how to manage the tension and, and so forth in, uh, in that situation. And I use a phrase I haven't used before in public where people want to quit because they can't stand the particular person that they're working with or they're around. Wow. And I said, I said out loud to uh, over 100 people, so you want to kill the person so what you do is you quit and commit economic suicide. <laughs> is, that, is that the solution that we're talking about here? <laughs> and I said to them, if you're, in, if you're working with me, I won't let you do that. Yeah. He, uh, you know, if I have to lock the door, it's I will not let you do that, at least before you get another job. Right, right. But, I mean, what, a, what an incredible fear of confrontation that we have in general. Uh, how hard is it to, to simply say to somebody that they're getting on your nerves, hurting your feelings, making you irritated, harming the team, whatever it is? I mean, I, I, I recently watched a, a really interesting talk that a woman gave about uh, communication styles and about how the job of a boss is to be at the, the top uh, right of a, of, a, of a quadrant where the, the y-axis is how much you give a shit and the left-right x-axis is um, how willing you are to hurt somebody's feelings. And our job is to really, really care and be willing to hurt people's feelings so that you can say the harsh confrontational thing without making it necessarily personal, but you're looking for a result. And, and when you don't care a lot, when you've written somebody off and you no longer want to confront them, you no longer want to deal with it, well, I mean, you can't fix that relationship. You're not, you, don't, you obviously don't care. Put it down the bottom of the list. And when you're unwilling to hurt somebody's feelings, you're never going to be genuine and you're never going to get any improvement out of anyone. So you have to always sort of be willing to step on some toes as long as you're doing it productively and with the right sort of spirit. You can approach what this woman calls radical candor. And I, I like the I like the sound and the hmm. flow of that. And, hmm. and it's important because I see it all the time. I see it all the time with my peers. I've seen it with my customers, my coworkers of just, you know, I know that these two don't get along and they won't talk about it. They won't. You know, the, one of the reasons why that's tough, though, it, I know what you're saying, and it's, at times you say to yourself, come on, just do it, you know? Right. But as I said the other day at this workshop, it, it, a lot of times there's very strong feelings that get engendered in a person through the interaction. Mm-hmm. They could get hurt. They could feel betrayed. They could feel slighted, and it could tap into deeper stuff from the past. And this is where you get into the deeper part of my work, mm. if the person's willing to go there. Right. 
uh, on a deeper level. And so that you get, it binds you up a bit. Right. You get bound up in that feeling. And the, the reaction that you have, the immediate reaction is to get away. Right. Like if you're hurt, you want to go to your room and close the door. Mm-hmm. Okay. It took me a long time, by the way, in my practice to feel comfortable confronting people without them feeling criticized or judged or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It, it, really, it really is a, a quite an art to be able to do it. Right, and I'm sure that even now you're not necessarily always going to hit 100% home oh, runs no, on no, that no, one. No, 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 because no matter how I put it, you know, if I put it as gently as, have you ever considered the fact that every time you say this, or are you aware? Oh, why do you always attack me? I e- don't know. Exactly. What am I gonna tell you? Never good enough for you. That's perfect, and mm-hmm. that's unscripted, I right? I like mean, it. that's exactly sometimes what happens. Yeah, I sound like I don't want to talk to you. Girlfriends. <laughs> What's that? I sound like every one of your last four <laughs> girlfriends. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's what because that you know you have a refraction of light. Right. Well, the words are refracted too. Mm. And it's part of my work with people is to find out what those refractions are. How are they right. hearing me? Right, right, yeah. So Trying to hear it through their ears at the same time you're saying it through your own filters and, and you know, story. Yeah, if context. I get a reaction, maybe not as dramatic as you just did, but similar, or they qu- get quiet, I, how did you hear what I just said? Mm-hmm. And that could be very helpful. Right. It isn't so much what I say, it's what they do with it hmm. that, that's very telling. Right. And what the person does with what you say to them can really reveal a lot of things about them. And if, if it's happening there, it's happening out in the world as well. Hmm. So that becomes a kind of a microcosm of, of a, like a lab. You know, I mean, I'm sure you have that kind of set up here, like a lab where you test things out. Sure, we actually do, right on the other side of that wall. But again, don't worry about the <laughs> scratching sounds you <laughs> the might hear. The, 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 the screaming and the like, yelling yeah, and the gnashing of teeth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's all just, they're, what, they're listening to something. It's a horror movie on the TV or something. Don't <laughs> yes, Saw 4 yeah, or yeah, Saw 5. Exactly, exactly. It's just, it's just for morale. It's, it's, a just, morale it's good for their morale. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. So confrontation doesn't have to be critical, right? we can say, as a takeaway. It all depends, though, on how you do it. Mm-hmm. But as a boss, I mean, you have to recognize that if you have a choice between confronting someone and being critical and not confronting them at all, you really need to err on the side of confronting them and being critical, generally speaking, because otherwise yeah. you're simply giving up on this person. You might as well replace them. I mean, if you can't come out of the closet and say that someone's disappointing you or not delivering or missing the mark or whatever it might be, you're truly not intending to keep that person as an employee for very much longer, or you're just going to keep somebody on the payroll that's not carrying the water. Mm -hmm. And what's the point of that? I mean, none of us in the small business community can afford that. You know what? uh, There's a segue here that I can use, actually, because one of the— What's that? I'm waiting for it. I'm listening. No, you just reminded me of something because another one of the things that the other th- the second thing I talked about on w- on this workshop the other day mm-hmm. was how to fight fair. Now it was more with people in your personal life, mates, family, friends. Okay. But it could also it could also be w- what you're talking about, the employee employer situation. And what was this workshop called? It was it was uh, it was sponsored by Toastmasters in New York, and it was. Actually, on leadership. 
oh. issues. And you are and actually a, a very distinguished Toastmaster, as it were, yes? I am officially a distinguished Toastmaster. Like capital, D- capital D. DTM. Capital D, capital T, capital yeah, M. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a long road. Yeah, it's a long road. Interesting, yeah. and and uh, and it was on and it was on leadership. Was there? A it was on leadership, and I was invited to do a breakout session, which turned out to be over a hundred people, which was very pleasing. Holy cow! And it was because of the fact that I've written a book, challenge the leader inside, and leadership. Talk about genuine leadership. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. Uh, that's part of the reason why I was there. And this book was released uh, late last year, or last. Uh, it was released. Uh, I held it back as long as I could. Um, at the book party, <laughs> I actually said to the group, uh, "If anyone, uh, I have two, a couple of tips on. If you've written a book, I have a couple of tips on how to delay it getting published." <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's true. I have I have some great tips on that how to delay it, and I kept it delayed as long as I could. And I finally had to let it out. Was that just cold feet? Just couldn't. Uh... By the way, for anybody who's listening to this, when I when people ask me what I do, I say I help people get out of their own way. Yeah. And the reason I'm good at it is because I'm continuously struggling to get out of my own way. Right. And that was a great example of it. Yeah, right? I wrote just... the book in three months. I did the editing in a couple more months, and then I delayed it for two more months getting published. Just anything you could to just... Anything I could, you know. And finally, the book uh, just said, let me out of here. Let me go. I don't think this this headshot really captures my essence. (laughs) Thank goodness I wasn't doing that, but there was something I just... Yeah, I get caught up in the the copyright part or the, Mm -hmm. the Library of Congress thing or the... The, uh, what do you call that, bar in the back? You know, the whole thing. It sure. was uh, all these little things. that You can find a lot of them. So I'll give anybody who wants tips on how to delay your book. Right. Now, what inspired the, what inspired the writing of the book? Um, you've obviously been, been doing Toastmastering as well as um, uh, psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis uh, psychotherapy for a long time, and now it was finally time to start putting some of this down on paper. I, I think for years I've been denying the fact that I'm a leader. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. I have. I, I, people would say, you know, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, really? It's just, I'm just doing what I feel like I should be doing. I think that that's a big trait of many of the best leaders. I, yeah, I just didn't think of myself that way. And I, but, I was int- but I'm very interested in it, and I say in the, in the introduction to the book there's a tremendous lack of leadership in this country. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very serious lack of leadership at important points. Right. And that's got me concerned not only in New York City, but in the United States. Right. So <clears throat> I can't change things, let's, let's say, on that level, but I can change it on an individual level, hopefully. Right. Well, if that we small w- ripple... That ripple effect, exactly. Start a ripple and start it individually. And the leader inside, it, what it means is let's all look inside of ourselves and find that leader we all have inside and see what we can do to make it stronger, better, at a, be- a better leader to lead us. Right. And then if we can do that, we can lead others then as well. But it starts with self. That's the whole premise of it. Excellent. Self-awareness. More self-awareness makes you more connected to yourself, mm-hmm. which will make you more connected to others. It sounds simple. Yeah. But it that's the key. That's the key to understand what is going on inside <clears throat> so you can have more choices as to what you do. Mm. or not do, and not doing something sometimes is a choice as well. Right. 
but how you do it. I mean, just knowing how you feel and how people are affecting you. So that's what it's really of zooming in toward. Right. It's so challenging when I read um, books like on topics like that and, and pieces on, on that. It's hard because I also, I mean, I have a bit of a natural leader aspect to myself. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur and run my own companies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always felt you were le- uh, quite a leader in the uh, organization we belonged to together right, as well. Right, yeah. We were we B- met. BNI, uh, BNI buddies for a while there. Yeah, and I've, I thought you were showing a lot of leadership in that uh, chapter yeah, very much. I, you know, there's that potential. It's just it's hard because when I, when I read stuff like that, it starts to make me conscious of some of the things that I've done unconsciously. And then I, I find that I almost want to trip over myself. You know, when I was, a, when I was a, a, a professional musician, if I would just play... I was just playing and it would come and it would flow and it all worked and I would Mm -hmm. rehearse it and I would learn it. But if I would write out the part and then start to read the part, I would start to pay attention to the differences between what I wrote down and what I'm actually doing. And I would start to feel like I'm doing it wrong because I'm not doing it to what was written on the page. And when I read a book or a story or something like that, I'm I'm always nervous that it's going to make me overthink it, you know, and start psyching myself out. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, it's a risky thing. Uh, do you have any, you have any tips on that of uh, getting out of our way when we're, when you're reading a book, you mean? When, yeah. When we're, you know, getting those pro tips and not having them, you know, fundamentally break what was not broken. Oh, you know, whoa. In, in there might be a couple of questions there. I'm yeah, not quite I sure. I think there's about seven nested questions. And <laughs> let me tell you about my mom. Hold on. Um, <laughs> she tried her best. She, Come yeah, on. She, really, she, she did the most <laughs> with what she had to work really with. Really great raw materials here. I mean, truthfully. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did an exercise. The uh, anyway, I'm not going to go into that. Right. I, at the uh, at the conference, and and uh, I joked around when somebody I asked somebody who this person reminds them of, and they didn't like their association to what it was. Really. And I said jokingly, yeah, "Leave your mother alone. She's okay." You know, <laughs> it wasn't the mother though. It right. was somebody else. But, right. But that was my instinctive. You know, leave mm. your mother. She's yeah, all she, right. She, she did her best. She did her you know? best. We're all just people. Look, hopefully, let me just say this. Hopefully, when you're reading a book, I happen to see a couple of books here, and there's one over there with Covey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven Habits of Successful. When you're reading a book, hopefully, you identify with something in there. So hopefully, it gets you to think about something. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, I mean, you you take pause. I do. Mm -hmm. Like, I stop for a minute. And I have a tendency to write and write when I'm reading, Mm -hmm. take notes and things like that. So I interact with the page. So it doesn't go as fast as it could, right. even though I taught speed reading many years ago and oh, really? getting my, you know, struggling through graduate school. That was one of the things I did. But you can't do that with everything. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it gets you to reflect. Right. And that's that would to me, that's that's a good thing. Right. Now, you were you were saying something else, though. Uh, which is what if it gets you feeling worse or something like that? Well, it's just it's one of those things where or start to qu- just start to just start to break things that weren't broken before. You know, as we're all trying to improve ourselves, we're reading a book that might be covering six or seven topics, and three of them are really germane to what we wanted to address. But then there were three or four that we often felt like we had we were doing that part okay mm-hmm. but then we start to doubt ourselves and say wait i thought i was good at that um uh-huh. we might be good at that it might uh-huh. be okay and it's just like you start to lose your focus and perhaps it is in my case perhaps it is just the speed reading aspect of it because i do read awfully fast and don't take a nearly enough time to 
reflect and meditate on what the heck I just consumed. I'm, I'm like, good, I got that. Let's go on to the next topic and keep going. It's like you know, <laughs> intellectual appetizer. Um, it, but it, you do read, you read through it pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, very quickly. But do I necessarily go dive as deeply as I should is ultimately well, the, the it, question. It all depends on what's uh, relevant for you and what you need, I think, at the time. Right. A book is written, in a sense, generically across the board to hopefully hit um, someone's uh, interest. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't pick it up. And then it's always interesting to me what people say to me after they read the book. Oh, you know that thing that you said about that? And I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what stood out, that, that particular mm -hmm. little vignette. And, yeah. and uh, I'm always fascinated by what sticks in people's minds. And the psychoanalyst in you says, now why did he pick on that part? What, what is it in his story? No, I don't work when I'm not working. Oh, really? You're no, able, you're able I'm to able to leave it right where it is. Are the, you psychi the, the psychoanalyst is out. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't stop noticing things. I mean, sure. it's impossible. I'm, I'm, my ears are too, you know, like a musician will hear a tune or somebody. You can't help hearing it. Mm -hmm. It's just, again, what you do with it. I, I don't want to work on it because that takes a lot of work. And it takes two people, by the way, to right. do it. Yeah, yeah. It's people say, no, don't psychoanalyze me. Or, yeah, I meet people. Are you going to psychoanalyze me? Mm -hmm. It's like asking a dentist you meet. You know, you're going to do my, you're going to fix my teeth while we're talking. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, it's tricky. You know, I mean, you're you're in a business similar to my own, where when you tell people what you do, they immediately either want to. Um, they want to bring you their problems, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of pro bono, casually in conversation. You know, people come to me all the time and say, oh, you're a computer guy? Listen, uh, can you take a look at my phone real quick? <laughs> That's you right. Know. That's right. You know, if you're a doctor, they, they, does this look infected? It's like, I'm sitting here trying to eat a canapé. Can I not, you know? <laughs> my, I had, I had well, an aunt who was a, uh, she was a licensed uh, social worker, a, a master of social work, whatever. And she had a plumber in the house fixing something. And he said, oh, you're a social worker? Let me tell you about something I got going on with my wife. He, she was like, are you serious? Can you just fix the sink? And he like literally like just without batting an eyelash, just dove right in like, yeah, well, this is what's going on. It's like, are we, are we going to bother? Yeah, uh, like, all right, I'll give you an hour and you'll give me an hour. Yeah, exactly. The plumber will probably charge more oh, than her rates. Yeah. Well, my, my, my business partner, he always has this very crude uh, analogy to it where people always say, oh, do you think plumbers can charge, you know, $500 an hour? And he always looks at them and says, well, how bad do you have to take a shit? When was your last shower? Exactly. As, <laughs> as crude as you want to be, it's just like, yeah, that's, that's why they charge that. It's <laughs> good work and people really need it. <laughs> what, what killed me one time is the guy comes to the house when I had the house and he just twisted something and the water stopped and I went, that's it? <laughs> and you try 95 just to get here because mm -hmm. you came. I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I should have said, stick around a while and <laughs> pretend to fix something else. Yeah. You know? <laughs> there, there was a story where uh, George Westinghouse, um, who ran a lot of the big power plants in that, um, had a relationship with Henry Ford. And they had a, at, at the Ford power plant, because Ford has its own power plant, they had one particular device that was knocking and making this terrible noise. And he said, George, you got to send me one of your guys. Um, and he's got to get to the bottom of this. And the guy stood there looking around at the device, listening to it, stood there for a little while, took a pencil, made a mark on the pipe, and said, open up the pipe right in there. You'll find that there's a loose bearing, and it'll take care of it. And he went home, 
Westinghouse sent him a bill for $10,000, and <laughs> Henry Ford was like, I'm not paying you $10,000. This guy made a mark on the pipe. You know, this is, not, this is nonsense. <laughs> then Westinghouse sent the bill itemized. He said, pencil mark on pipe, $5, knowing where to make the pencil mark, $9,995. The bill got paid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My uncle used to say, get paid for what you know, not what you do. Absolutely. And that's a great ex- that's a great example of yeah. it. Pencil mark, yeah. five dollars. I know it's, it's not. I could have <laughs> put it anywhere. Knowing where to put it, right? That's the important part. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. So, how did you get involved in Toastmasters of all of all things? And by the way, for the folks out, out at home that don't know, what is Toastmasters? Yeah. Well, the way I describe it very simply is it's a gym where you go to work out your public speaking skills, and Excellent that's the analogy. simplest way to put it. Okay. It's a place we meet every week where people mm-hmm. give prepared speeches. They also practice spontaneous speaking, and we evaluate the speeches right after they're done, and it's all timed. Hmm. So the first time I came to a meeting, and I had no idea, by the way, I was going to a meeting like this. I had no idea. Right. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be giving a speech at my club in a couple of weeks called You Never Know how one thing can lead to another. Mm -hmm. And that's how I wound up there, okay? I decided I wanted to become a public speaker because I read an article in the Times that they were making gazillions of dollars. You know, of course, they were ex-governors and presidents. And I joined, I went to an organization called the National Speakers Association on a Saturday to a workshop, which, and I now belong to that organization. I'm a professional member of them. And I met somebody there who said, you think this is good? You got to go to this other thing. Mm. And I said, what is that? And she said, never mind what it is. Just go. They meet on Thursday at the Bar Association in New York, and they have lunch. So that was it. I never had heard of Toastman. I walk in. I go to this meeting. I'm well-received. And I watch a meeting run for an hour and a half that is like a well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. Everything is timed. Speeches, everything. A card goes up. There's a card that goes up, and then, uh, and then when the red card goes up, you have to stop. And if you don't, you have, they'll you shout you You have 30 down. seconds to wind down, and if you don't stop, they start applauding. Wow. It's the old hook right. in Porterville when they mm-hmm. pulled you off the mm-hmm. stage. Get the Sandman out. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but it's a, it's a, you go through a, a, a manual, and you do different skills each time. You mm. work on them. Vocal variety, eye contact, using objects in the speech, all kinds of things. So getting your gestures down, learning getting your, not using say gestures, um. not there's an um counter. <laughs> there's <laughs> actually somebody who counts ums and ahs and word fillers. At the end, they report. Wow. Do they? When you're counting ums for somebody, are you even capable of listening to the content that they're refle- it's, delivering, or are you just really focused on y- the ums? It's <laughs> well, you, you you can try to do both. The hardest part for me is when you're a timer because I'm watching the clock and I'm trying to listen at the same time, but I really have to keep an eye on the clock. Right. So the, here's the thing, though. When you start becoming aware of all of these ums and ahs and things, then you start watching people on television, politicians, actors, people being, and you're gonna, it's, it's amazing. Right. You start hearing before they even utter a real word, uh, well, um, um, uh, um. That's the first five to ten seconds. It's mm. <laughs> oh, <that's> hard. <laughs> and so, and so it's a training. Right. It's a training thing, and the, it the uh, tick it, that, it works. The tick that's making me crazy, that's making the rounds, is that's a great question. Oh yeah, the, that's, that's a, a great. I'm question. So glad tick. you asked me that. Oh, it's such a it's such a 
you're just stalling for time. Yeah, you're just great. buying yourself a minute, and it's just like, bleh. that's a. Gr- I'm so glad you asked me that question. That's really a great. question. Shut up. How is that a great question? You <laughs> asked me what time it was. It's not a great question. <laughs> you're fiddling for your watch, and you're telling me it's a great that's question. That's a great question. <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing great about it. And, you know, you're some movie actor sitting there. You've been asked the same question 600 times today. It's not a great question. It's the same freaking question. That's right. You know, but it's I, – w- I was recently interviewed and, and sitting for um, – there's my um – Sitting, sitting for an interview, and I've always felt that I was a good interview, capable of sort of diving right in. But as oh, yeah. I started to sit there and started to count my ums, and I was like, "Ooh, I got a lot of work to do," because <laughs> it's. Uh, I've I've it's actually graduated to OKs. I I do a lot of you know you don't realize these things until sure. you if you video it and then you look at it you go oh my god, yeah. you know I'm I'm picking at my ear or something or mm-hmm. twitching my nose. Right. But the, I, I do. I, I'm a little bit uh, negligent when it comes to okay, okay. So okay, mm-hmm. I've I've substituted okay for ums. And but you still have work to do, right? That's why you're still a member of the Toastmasters. It's not just to be the the DTM in the room. No, no, no. You and I do mentoring. I mentor people and things like that. And the and the the track you mentioned before. I mean the DTM thing. It's two tracks. It's speaking and leadership. Oh. Okay. So there's two roles that you really have to fulfill. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to do. But I was so I was so fascinated at that first meeting I went to, January twenty fifth, nineteen ninety six, that I didn't miss a meeting for a year. So just about twenty years. You've it's been twenty years. This. We're coming up to twenty years. Holy it's amazing. Wow. I walked in that door, and something happened. Now, are, are there other members that have been members of the, the the Toastmaster chapter that you're in for that long as well, or are you? There right are. The there are, but uh, a lot of them aren't still around. Mm-hmm. I mean, they kind of dropped out of them. I, I continue to go regularly. You're the through line. I Yes, I keep challenging myself. I'm the through line. <laughs> I, sit in, I sit in a particular place in the room, so when people walk in, ah, they, you know, when I don't go there, Don, where's Don? He, yeah, he's become, not in the seat. Become part of the furniture. You know, but I still I participate. I still, you know, try things. And it's at the bar? At the uh, New York Bar Association, right. yeah, it's the SEC Rough Riders, it's called. Mm. Yeah. What's the Teddy Roosevelt connection there? Yeah, yeah I noticed you have a Teddy uh, Roosevelt behind me on the wall. He's a personal hero. <coughs> well, there were a group of men from the Sales Executive Club. Mm-hmm. It doesn't SEC doesn't stand for the Securities and Exchange Commission. Not in this context. Though, uh, so they was they were in the meeting in the Roosevelt Hotel back in the fifties, trying to work on their public speaking skills, mm-hmm. and they decided to go for a charter through Toastmasters, mm-hmm. and it was in the Teddy Roosevelt, the Roosevelt, the Roosevelt Hotel in the Rough Rider room. Hmm. So they called themselves the SEC Rough Riders. Uh, do you have any idea w- the origin of the Toastmasters organization, like where it came from? Oh, or? boy. It's about 80-something years old. It's international. There's oh, like wow. hundreds, thousands of people. Uh, there, was a, there was a man's name, and I'm a little uh, blanked on his name right now, who started this whole thing mm-hmm. a long time ago. But it was always for the purpose of improving public speaking always. presentation. Yes. There's a structure that they, they all use it's just that different clubs have different atmospheres, different participants. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have uh, a club that's corporate only; only corporate members of the of the company belong. Oh, so one particular company. There might be uh, like an insurance company of some kind, and right. only the people Met who work Life there. MetLife Toastmasters. Got it. 
Our club is a, is a luncheon club. It's eclectic. Anybody can join, and a lot of entrepreneurs like yourself mm-hmm. actually come. Right. About how many members? <clears throat> we In my club, there's about 65, 70. Wow. But about half come to the meetings. Sure. The other half are busy entrepreneuring. Right. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a midday chunk of the time, so it's everybody's not always available. Right, but if you don't commit to improving yourself, you know what? You never will. It's working on self. It's working on self, yeah. yeah. It is, exactly. My wife and I always say that we've always got to put our own oxygen mask on first. You know, whenever we're revealing. <laughs> the, the, the plane thing? Yeah, just in, in, in any situation. It's always about get your own oxygen mask on first. You know, we just, uh, and I'm and I'm notoriously bad at that. This past year has That's been a good analogy, by the way. I really like, I, lo- I always love analogies that have, you know, it has a deeper, wider implication but it's a great image yeah we all can see that image yeah exactly you know work on self first put your oxygen match i love that i'm going to use that it's, it's yours I, thank I, you I, I got a million of them <laughs> first one's free after that the price starts going up a lot yeah that's uh, why this place is thriving yeah. well we need some test subjects in the lab so maybe if you just volunteer for a session you maybe know. I get another one yeah, another exactly another, another gem. a freebie another gem from the mind um but yeah, it's and my wife is actually very good at it. She uh, she goes to yoga, she goes to the gym, she goes for runs. She's a member mm. of a bowling league that she goes to really religiously. And she was like, I can't believe I'm joining a bowling bowling league. I'm so suburban now. But she gets to spend time with her friends. She gets to make a lot of good yeah, connections. Sure. She resets her brain. And you know, Tuesday nights she's almost always in a good mood because Tuesday she went and bowled, and you know, it it, it makes such a difference. And in the past year, I've really broken my work life balance. I I have been just grinding away and not doing anything i had not put oh. my oxygen mask on oh i got to the tail end of the year and my business partners f- finally sat me down and were like hey <laughs> you need to get a life you need to start doing stuff other than you know just being here because um, you're burning out and it was just it became fairly obvious so this year my big commitment is to were there particular goals that you were striving for during that there time? were yeah, we, we had some financial goals that we wanted to hit here at the company mm-hmm. um, that I, you know, got within spitting distance of, which I consider a victory because I set those goals fairly ambitiously. Mm-hmm. Um, finally managed to get a raise for the first time in a while. Woohoo! So that means All that right. I did something so, right. So something, there was a result for yeah. that. Uh, oh, absolutely. You know, for that stress that you were ex- experiencing. That's yeah. the key. And the result was not just more gray hair and less hair and, <laughs> you know, uh, a, a feeling of permanent fatigue. There were some positive outcomes as well. Good. But Good. now it's it's All time right. to take the throttle out, you know, of the 110% position and back it down to 85%. Per- percent, oh, you know. that that reminds me of the cars. The cars, don't you belong to something? Yeah, the, the classic car club in Manhattan. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. an interesting, it's an interesting group of people, you know, um, Car enthusiasts that uh, paid the dues to pay the note on some really pretty incredible cars that we're fortunate enough to get to take out for drives. Yeah, you get to take them out and drive them. Yeah, yeah, quite frequently. We actually just rewarded one of our staff members who's been with us a long time and is a total gearhead. We rewarded him with membership. So we gave him his membership card and said, you're in the club. You get to come down and hang out. And we gave him some points so he could take out a car. And he's a a British uh, kid. So he's taking out the Aston Martin this weekend. He's very excited. <laughs> he's got his. He's gonna watch all the James Bond movies before he takes I, the car. I sincerely hope so. <laughs> 
He uh, <laughs> he's got a countdown timer going on his Facebook page. You know, three more days till oh, Aston Martin. Two more days. Till that's Aston fun. Martin. That is fun. Yeah. So I know I know that we you know we hit, we struck a nerve. But you know, car guys are car guys. They really love it. Yeah, you know, I grew up. I grew up with a car guy. My dad is a is a big mega car gearhead, and I grew up as his assistant rebuilding transmissions and stuff like that. I like cars. I'm a get home safe kind of guy, though. I drive a minivan and a little old Subaru just to sort of get me home safe. I have three kids. I'm not going to be a, a splatter on the side of the road in a Ferrari. It's not my right, thing. Right. And I just I don't have the kind of reflexes that I'd like to, you know. Oh. So I'm always I'm always afraid that like I would get in a car like a Lamborghini and take it out. And I would drive it fairly slow, and the car would be bored, and the car would be bored. I, it, would be like, it would be like dating a porn star. <laughs> you know, I'd be, I, I'd be like, "What do you think?" And she's like, "Well, I've had better." <laughs> I know, just, I just always feel inadequate. I'd always feel like I'm not pulling this off, you know. So uh, the cars that I take car. out are always fairly. Especially humble. the today's cars, they actually interact a lot. So. Absolutely, it's just the best you can do with right, this exactly. pedal. The, Come G- on. the GPS is yelling at me. I've got to recalculate oh, your time. I didn't realize you were lame. <laughs> I mean, come on. I'm a Lamborghini. What do you think I am? Right, exactly. Shift, for good sake. God. Can we do over 20? <laughs> right. Yeah, Shift. Well, Shift, yeah. Well, right. there's also the nerves of, you know, if I crash this thing, I'm out of pocket 10 grand just on the deductible. Oh. You know, no. Oh. It's like. Oh, there's an incentive. Right. Not to. And the members do. They 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 do bump the cars every oh once in a while. Oh my god! Somebody that put one of the Ferraris under a dump truck a, a year or two ago. Oh, <laughs> was a uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, a half a million dollar car, a bumper is very expensive. I've got a car sitting on the other side of the Hudson mm-hmm. in Weehawken in the garage. You talk about porn star. It's like having somebody put up in an apartment, mm-hmm. let's say, mm-hmm. and never visiting them. <laughs> You, it's you've, crazy. You've got a it's her own crazy. parking space. It's temperature. The controlled. car is in the in the garage, and it's it's not getting uh, stimulated and used. Is it still the Nissan? It's the 350Z. Nice. Yeah. So I'm thinking maybe I should try to park it in New York, somewhere uptown, maybe moving, or something, and maybe your, I would use it more. You're moving your mistress up in the world now. Her, moving now my her, mistress. Yeah. Her rent is going from 300 a month to 600 a month. I mean, it's like having a mistress and not visiting her. It's crazy. That's true. You know, it's really, I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, well, you live in the city now. You I do. From I moved from moved back proper. from Montclair to the from the city to Montclair, Montclair back to the city. And you left your car behind. I left it on the other side of the Hudson. Yes, and uh, I've been toying with the idea of selling it. And then the latest idea is maybe I'll use it if I bring it into the city. So we'll right. see. Or you could join the Classic Car Club and just take out a Ferrari on the rare occasions you need it. Oh <laughs> yeah, right. The classic club. <laughs> that might be a lot more than I'm paying in garage rent. Well, you know, the club membership is actually fairly inexpensive. The miles that when you actually take out the car, it's quite a pretty penny. It's a very expensive rental. But for the rare amount of time that you take it out, eh, over over the course of a year, I mean, if you take out your car three or four times, you're probably spending similar amount of money keeping a, a, a Z in storage than you would to hmm. randomly decide to take out a Lamborghini or a Porsche or a, you know, a 66 pickup truck that's lowered. and That's when it's, so that's when you take it out, that's when the cost is higher? That's, that, that's that, when you, you that's basically are taking out like a rental, like a rental car. It's like, oh, you want the Ferrari for the weekend? That'll be, you know, 200 points. And however much the points cost, because that, 
number slides based mm. on how many points you buy in advance. They basically take their money up front, and then you chip away at the points. Oh, I see. Um, and the points value slides based on whether it's midweek or weekend, summer, spring, winter, fall, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. I see. Um, there are All quite right. a few members that don't have cars, and they just use they, the, the car club has what they call the A to B fleet. They're, they're basic A to B cars, which are Audis and Mercedes Benzes and, you know, and, and uh, Porsche Cayennes and things like that, like pretty high-end A to B car. Um, but that's kind of neat, too, because then that's not expensive. That's, a, you know, 100 bucks for the day or whatever it might be in terms of, you know, points hit. Mm -hmm. um, I've used the A to B fleet just to get out to Pennsylvania or something like that. Like, now ah, what the heck, I might as well drive in style. You know, take an Audi Q7. It must be day. fun to pick up a couple of your friends. Let's go wherever we're going, and you pull up in one of these babies. Yeah, this must be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, the wife, the wife, and I have had a really nice time. We've done Atlantic City a couple of times in the cars and that, just to go spend a couple hours on a drive, get a hotel room. Our friends always sort of drive by the house. It's, it seems like whenever they, I get one of the cars, all of our friends always manage to pull by the house and be like, "What do you got?" You know, like, "What's that?" Like, oh, would you yeah. buy a new car? No, I didn't. You, I think I would buy this. You've got to be kidding me. No, it's, I'm borrowing it. 68 yes. Dodge Charger, you know, 66 Mustang. It sounds like a lot of fun. It's it pretty does. neat. Yes. It's yes. pretty neat. So what's next on the horizon for you? What are you? What does your big 2016 get? Okay. 2016, I'll tell you what I'm uh, probably the biggest thing that I'm shooting for. I want to do more speaking and events, but the thing I'm really focusing on in 2016 is to develop what I call a signature speech. Okay. And it will be about leadership in some way, of course. Mm -hmm. But I want to gear it toward eventually possibly because notice all the words. A lot of qualifications there. A lot of TED um, talk. Okay. I want to get I want to develop a TED uh, a potential TED talk. Yes, I think there's I think TEDx, I believe, which is sort of like AAA and before you get to the majors, something yep. like that. Absolutely. So TEDx is the first stop. That's mm -hmm. what I'm shooting for. That's great. And it's 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 exciting. I mean, when I watch some of the people who have done them, uh, I'm quite impressed and inspired. Yeah. But I wanted I that's what I want to do. That's I want I want to develop a speech that I believe is worthwhile to share, not just do it. I mean, right. that's not just the goal. I want to come up with a really powerful. Now, am I, now am I hearing some self-doubt creeping in here, or am I going to be like, <laughs> so what, 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 where's the doubt here? Uh, in this You're hearing self-doubt. I'm huh? hearing some self-doubt. I'm, I'm catching notes of, uh, <coughs> of a little, some worth issues. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> wait a um, minute. Did we switch roles wait, wait here? Well, uh, I, I've got the headphones self -doubt. on. Self-doubt. Self-doubt. Yeah, For those people who can't see us, he's, he's rubbing his hands together oh, yeah. like, yes, I've got the answer to this. This is the solution. He's got, he's got the therapist on the couch. <laughs> I love, it. The, I love um, it. Yeah, I recently got an application for the to speak at TEDx lit across my desk, but I, I too, um, would love to do it. I just I don't feel that I have anything even remotely close to a, a speech worth hammering out at this point. I, I tend to be the type of speaker at present where I can handle an interview and I can wax eloquently if I'm asked a specific question. Mm -hmm. But if you give me an unlimited forum and say, entertain us for seven minutes, I've got nothing. I'll just stand there and you know do a soft shoe. Like I, I don't have uh, a particular topic that I, I'm right. confident in, in being able to build a framework around yet. Well, what, you, what you're picking up is not the doubt in my ability to deliver it. Mm -hmm. It's the uncertainty that I haven't 
gotten it yet. Mm. The it. Right. That I really, because if I get it shaped the way I'd like it to be, and and real and feel like oh man this is this is something great, yeah. then the delivery becomes a, a, that's a, it's not an issue at all. Right. The passion is there. I want to I want to feel really passionate about something mm-hmm. that I feel is is really important and worthwhile sharing. I mean that's that's so that's what you're picking up. Right. And I'm and I want to work on that this this year. Mm-hmm. By doing things in different places, yeah, and just I, get a, a tight seven or ten minute sort of thing. Or well, no, it's a, TED talks about eighteen minutes. Oh, are they? Yeah, okay. and and so and I and I'm I understand that um, keynotes are now closer to thirty minutes than they than the forty five to sixty. Okay. So I'm really working on a keynote, say thirty minutes. That's what I, that's my goal, and then if I get that shaped up, I can just cut back a little bit. 10 minutes out of it to get to the TED talk level. Yeah. But that's, so that's what, that's, that's my big goal for the year. And I'm going to go around to various places. I, I spoke at Rotary clubs last year oh, okay. and I'm going to, you know, between that and Toastmaster clubs where I can get feedback and start really listening to it, shaping it mm-hmm. and saying, yes, you know, that was every time I do it, there's something like, yes, there's a takeaway. Yeah, that's good. That really worked. That felt right. Right. People are like, they're not, they're not jumping to their feet shouting, but you can see it had an impact. Right. You catch that. that the and people eyes. come up afterwards and say, you know, you really, blah, blah, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing. And so piece by piece by piece. That's a great, what that's has, a really great goal. What has impo- uh, impact. Beats uh, the heck out of just, you know, lose 10 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got that goal. You know? um, yeah, lose 10 pounds, right. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, that's on, that's, I, I, I'm going to say that t- doing a TED Talk is definitely on my bucket list, but I'm, it's not a, it's not a this year thing. I've got a, I've got a ways to go both in my skills as a speaker as well as in developing something to say. Um, I've heard you speak. I've heard you give presentations at the chapter we were in. Right. You know, you, you're a very interesting, clever guy and very informative guy. You really are. You've got the, you know, you certainly have got it. Oh, thanks. You have, Thank definitely. You. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always had that sort of Irish gift of just sort of being fairly animated and confident. Um, I, I was recently out with a friend of mine who uh, he said, you know, I, I've known you 20 years and I have no idea how you've always been able to approach all of these things and never be embarrassed. And I said, well, the secret is that I'm always sort of embarrassed, and I recognize that being embarrassed isn't the worst thing in the world. (laughs) You know, I'll put on a pair of ice skates and go out there and fall on my ass, and I'll laugh at myself, and I'm not going to care because I'd rather try ice skating and fail at it and just be sort of embarrassed because I'm always sort of embarrassed. I'm always sort of like, oh, I'm a big dopey goof and whatever, And, and it's not that big a deal. That's great. You know, that's it's, great. It's I'm not, always embarrassed. What's new? Yeah, it's. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I might as well be entertaining while I'm being embarrassed. Exactly. I'm not afraid of <laughs> over confessing. I'm not afraid of uh, speaking my mind or saying something inappropriate because I can always say I'm sorry. And if you won't forgive me, well, up yours. It's not going to shift the r- earth on its axis. That's that's for the sure. thing. I t- I say that to people. Well, you know, okay. Yeah. We're not and we're not going to have a seismic uh, change here. Yeah. My mom always Hopefully. used to. My mom always used to say that you're not the main character in somebody else's life. They're really not paying that much attention. <laughs> you don't have to. They, they don't. That's they right. don't care what T-shirt you're wearing. They don't really care what you said. And the fact that you farted in uh, gym class, it, they laughed about it, but they forgot about it about 20 minutes later. Uh, you know, and this this comment is for the for the people who are super self-conscious. 
it's it's a little bit uh, disheartening and a, a blow to realize people aren't thinking about you that much. It is it is a kick okay? in the ego. It is. It's a it kick is in the ego. because there are people who suffer greatly right. from feeling self-conscious and it inhibits them socially. And most of the time, people really are too preoccupied with themselves right. in their own head. Mm-hmm. And they may not be paying nearly enough attention paying. to the person that they should be paying attention to across the table. Right. They're worrying oh. about themselves. Right, or what they're going to say next, or, yeah. or what's happening on their phone, or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, the phone thing is a nightmare. You know, I've got three little kids, and <laughs> the technology debate is something that rages as we see mm. kids growing up and spending more and more time on the screen and less and less time having human interaction. I'm fortunate that I have three boys at home, so they, when we take them away from technology, they don't just stare at the wall and get bored. They immediately go into puppy play and wrestle and interrelate and develop their little you know, power struggles and everything. Right, right. I feel bad for the, ki- the, 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 the only children because as soon as the technology is taken away, I mean, they, have n- they don't know what else to do. They're, they're, they have no other person to interact with except mom and dad. Mom and dad are typically... I need to make dinner, get out of here, you know, sort of thing. And it's uh, mm-hmm. it's tough. It's tough. The built-in playmate is a... You're is talking a to an only child, mm, but before the technology. Right. You know, so... Uh, so you had to go make friends. Good heavens. <laughs> my two my two closest friends growing up were also only, only people. Yeah. So we had a lot in common. And, in fact, a couple of my longtime friends from way back are onlys. That's so we become be. like brothers, yeah. In a sense, the brothers we never had, right? And it's, that's it's very an cool in a way. An interesting power dynamic there, where each of you are the the most important people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> now there's something that I had to struggle with in my own analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, the the <clears throat> being the only and the focus and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I do envy. I do envy people who grew up with siblings, although anybody who's listening to this and hates their brother or sister probably would say to me, yeah, right, Yeah, sure. I have the, I have the but, unique, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's entirely unique, but I have the unique, uh, somewhat unique opportunity to have been an only child, the youngest child, and the oldest child in my life. Really? My, yeah, I, I am my mother's only child so for the first five years of my life I was the only kid in the house and when my parents split we my mom and I moved in with a family that had two older boys in the house three years and six years older than me so I all of a sudden became the little brother oh boy at that same time my dad started up a second franchise so he started making little brothers for me in another house so I had started up another franchise. Yeah, that's he, a he, very interesting way he, of putting he went, it. He went. He went across the river and yeah, started a, started <laughs> a new franchise in the in the National League from the American League. I see. Uh, <laughs> he switched leagues. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're moving the St. Louis Rams. I understand to Los yeah, Angeles, so it's yeah. a little bit like that. They beat Oakland to the punch. Oops. <clears throat> um, so I got this moment where for five or six years of my life, I, I lived with older brothers and then on the weekends got to go to my dad's house and be the big brother. Wow. Um, that is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and then when that relationship ended, I became once again my mother's only child. And then on the weekends. There's your TED talk. Yeah. There's it could your, be. You it know could what? Be. That is very unique. By it the really way. is. I mean, I've been, I've been doing this for over 25 years and I've listened 
over 35 to 40,000 hours of one-to-one. -one. Wow. But I have never heard a family, con I've heard a lot of family configurations. Mm -hmm. But that is fascinating. There's a uniqueness to that. Right. That you were the only, and then you're the youngest, and then on weekends you can be the oldest. Yeah. That is really fascinating. And it, all the dynamics that are involved with that, you can make a lot of humor with that. Oh. You know? <laughs> there is a lot of humor. Right? With it. Yeah. There's a lot of humor. I would, I mean, some talk. There's got to be a talk there. Right. That you can tie into something or other that people can hang and relate to. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel, I, I feel that birth order and and uh, family configuration is is just so important. It has it so is. much influence. It is absolutely important. There's got to be a reason that the you know majority of uh, Fortune 500 CEOs are either only children or firstborns. You know, there's got to be something <coughs> there that that's that that's an overwhelming aspect the pain and struggle i mean you had a, you had an interesting unique situation because you were an only and well it, it, you, you had you, you you went from one family mix to another but the pain i've seen in people i've worked with when the when they're four or five years old and the other brother or sister's born and they lose the spotlight right that is really painful yeah it's very painful, and when you're a kid, you can't uh, explain it. You can't. You don't even have the words for it. Right. You just feel it. Right. And and you feel abandoned in some cases, and and diminished. Mm -hmm. Which is why I'm always suspicious when the older child starts playing nice with the young, the like new what, one. What's he setting them up because for? Because they're setting them up for throwing them out the window right, or something exactly. like well, that. He, he looked know. dirty, so I put him in the washing machine. When people <laughs> say that's <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, look at that. How, how, how nice he's playing with his little brother. Yeah. Where is his little brother? Dishwasher. Why is the dishwasher running? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But that, that's, yes, right? exactly. Yeah, it's, I, uh, I wouldn't be gloating over it so quickly. I mean, you know, it's we were we were very fortunate. We know my first two are Irish twins. They're 13 months apart. So my oldest son really doesn't know or remember life without his little brother. Mm. Um, and in fact, that has a huge impact because they, the two of them have a hard time doing anything alone. Whenever Jack, my oldest, goes out to do anything, he always wants to have a sidekick that sort of taste tests everything. Oh. Ted's the little brother, and you can always make the little brother be like, I don't know what this is. Why don't you taste it and let me know how it works out? And that was always Ted, was the one that would be like, okay, my big brother told me to eat it. I'll see what happens. That's 13, he's 13 months, yeah. um, the big no, brother. Yeah, so, so now, you know, basically we always say that Jack needs to have his Ted so that Ted is like the kid that, that tries everything. The, Jack, you want to do baseball? Not really. Ted's going to do baseball. All right, I'll do baseball. So when they start to date, that's going to be interesting. Oh, my God, yeah. Would hey, you, what's would going on with Shirley? Try her out. Yeah, exactly. Go out with her first. Give Shirley a ride and let me know if she's any good. I mean, girlfriend games. Girl, you, 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 your girlfriend got a sister? That's great. It's amazing to see how tightly related they are. You know, and the regard. other one is uh, diff what's Char the Charlie is Charlie's three years younger than than Ted, um, hmm. and that we were worried that Ted was going to be you know jealous that there was a new baby in town, but it was actually quite the other. We called Ted the smother brother for a long time because all he wanted to do was just hug and kiss and take care of Charlie, and all that, and it was never a, a violent or, or anything mm -hmm. like that. He was mm -hmm. always just like you little baby, you want to play, <laughs> and it got to the point where it was like Ted, can you please put him down? <laughs> you know, it's like he's trying to sleep. Um, 
So he'll be having the, what's the difference in age? Uh, three years. Three. So he'll be the, ta- the, the, yeah, the new one will be the taster for Ted. Yeah, exactly. Ted's taster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Here, Charlie, pick this up. It, it, don't worry. I don't know what it is. Yeah. It doesn't look Let toxic. me know how it is so I can pass it on to. Right, uh, exactly. Then I'll pass it up to Jack, and, and then Jack. Jack will know it's all safe. That's funny. Yeah. That's very funny. Jeez. <laughs> So a TED Talk this year, a book last well, year. Well, working toward it. Oh, okay. I mean, develop okay. a TED Talk this Got year. It. Get it ready and get it ready. Get work on it. I mean, I think it'll take a year to do it. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah, so I it's, do. It's just that many hours of stage time, as well as well. I I mean, prep. I only have so many hours to to speak publicly. I like doing it, but I only. I mean, I I, I put in you know so many hours a week for my practice. You my do actually have a job. I actually have a private practice here in Manhattan right. that I am very committed to and, mm-hmm. and put a lot of time and energy in. It's there's a lot of psychic energy that goes into that. Right. So there's only so much psychic energy and time available, but I actually get a boost when I do a presentation. I get charged. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm I'm giving myself the entire year 2016 to develop it. Excellent. If it goes faster, fine. But I, I'm giving myself the 2016. I want to do more speaking and uh, try things out, but really focus on a what I'm calling initially a key a um, a, a key speech for 30 minutes. Signature speech. Signature speech, a uh, speech that uh, I can take anywhere. And then mm-hmm. somewhere in that 30 minutes will be 18 minutes, 17, 18 minutes, hopefully of uh, eventually a TEDx. Excellent. So uh, the book is called? Challenge the Leader Inside. Excellent. And, and if you dot .com it, okay. you go right to the website. Challengetheleaderinside.com. Yeah. And your private practice, where could people find out more? If they wanted to get out of their own way or go to the, uh, the deeper in the diving bell than the typical <laughs> coaching engagement, uh, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, they can get a hold of me through, well, they can get a hold of me on the website. Okay. You know, or they can get a hold of me through don at don-nelson.com. Excellent. Don at don-nelson.com. And anybody wants to pay a visit to the Rough Riders, they've got to be an invited guest, I have to assume. No, 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 no. They don't have to be invited. No, all they do is just go to the website, SCC Rough Riders. And the website, it's a great website, and it's very helpful, and it tells you all you need to know. The to be SCC a Rough Riders. tells you where it is, when they meet. Yeah, it's Thursday afternoons. It tells you where it is. I've got to come pay you guys a visit. I think, I, you, sh- I think you should, actually. Yeah. I'd like you to be a guest. I'd like to do that. Be my guest. I'd How's that? I'd love to do that. I think it would, uh, I'm speaking February 4th. Why don't you come that day? That sounds like a date. That's the day I'm going to do that. You never know how one thing leads to another. Sounds like a date. How's that, okay? I'll be there. I love it. I love it. Awesome. I was thinking before that might be a good sort of side thing for you, like Mm -hmm. bowling is for your wife. Right, exactly. (laughs) Uh, This is important to me. Getting better at uh, at speaking and engaging is really important. Well, that's, then that's, that's it. That's it. And that is the, if you're going to do a club, that's the one for you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Don, thank you so much for coming and paying me a visit today. It's been beautiful. It really has. It's been a great, great, great time. Thanks. Look forward to our next conversation. I do, indeed. All righty. Have a good one, folks. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Don Nelson. If you're in the New York City area and you're looking for somebody to have a conversation with, he is definitely the guy to look up. If you're interested in learning more about public speaking, the SEC Rough Riders is a great place to start. Toastmasters is an excellent organization. And if you're looking for a good read, challenge the leader inside. Google it. Amazon it. Get on it. 
Hey, I stay out of trouble.